Welcome to the 12 Pound Podcast. I'm your co-host, Robert. Uh, joining me, as always, is my mom, Bobby. Hi, Mom. Hi, Robert. Hello. It's beautiful in Cape May. I know. The sun is finally out, shining. It's a gorgeous day. Yeah. Daffodils are out. It's a beautiful spring day. Well, as a quick reminder, the 12 Pound Podcast discusses life's changes and how we hope to help you face them through shared stories and experiences. It's nearly May, uh, which means it's nearly your birthday, Mom. Yes, my birthday, almost my birthday month. How are you feeling about your 70s? Not not great. <laughs> <laughs> that aging gracefully stuff, it's, uh, it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little warmer in Philadelphia, isn't it, than here? It's always hotter in the city. It's always hotter in Philadelphia, yeah. yeah. It's tough life down here at the beach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah ocean struggle. Breeze. It's a struggle. I can complain about that ocean breeze all day. Well, I am uh, I'm really glad to be here with you again today, Mom. This is episode 25 so we are at a quarter of a century of episodes. So congratulations to us because we're awesome. And here we are. Well, as our audience has come to learn, uh, this podcast is predicated on change. And one of the biggest changes we go through in life is death. And getting older, losing loved ones, and, and managing through that process of grief is a, is a change we all experience. Uh, and because death is, is difficult to talk about, uh, it can mean that by the time we get there, uh, we're, we're pretty unprepared uh, because we've done our best, to, unfortunately, to avoid the subject for the better part of our lives until it's upon us. So that had us thinking about end of life and, and asking, since there are so many people in the beginning of life who help us through this maze of childbirth and bringing a life into the world, uh, why aren't there more people at the end to help us uh, guide someone out? Uh, specifically, Mom, we were talking about uh, midwives and doulas. Um, I, I, we used a midwife and doula for my youngest daughter, Josephine, uh, and it was really a beautiful experience having somebody to take you through that maze of newness. You just didn't know anything about anything. And you big... mean, I didn't know I was going to have a 12-pound baby. No, Is that what you're exactly. saying? exactly. Who oh. would have told you? <laughs> 12 pounds of me. Well, and would you know it, serendipity stepped in. And following one of our recent episodes that we posted online, uh, an end-of-life doula liked one of our podcasts. And wouldn't you know it, I immediately contacted her and asked her if she would join us on the show. And wouldn't you know it, she's here <laughs> with us today. So I am very happy to introduce our guest today, Sherry Anderson. Hi, Sherry. Welcome to the 12 Pound Podcast. Hello, Robert and Bobby. Very nice to join you here. Well, it is, uh, it is a pleasure to have you uh, via the telephone. We are excited that you are our well, almost our second furthest caller. We had someone in California who joined us, a professor at the University of San Diego. Uh, but we did uh, clarify that you were in Nevada, not Nevada. <laughs> you are in Nevada. So for all, our for all of our listeners on the East Coast who are visiting Las Vegas and Reno in the next three weeks, do not say... Nevada. Is that a, I think that's a song. You say Nevada, you say, I say, and I say and a, Nevada. You say Nevada, you say, Sherry says Nevada. Sarah. You say Nevada, Sherry says, says Nevada. 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 Whatever. Whatever. I love it. Well, I love it. We, we love that you're here. Um, we've had an opportunity to speak already, and I'm very excited to introduce you to, to Mom. And we're really um, excited to learn about what you do and, and why you do it, because... Um, you know, both of us have been through uh, the experience of, of having people sick or, you know, losing a loved one. And I know you have as well. So, um, you know, being an end of life doula is uh, a really interesting and, and kind of a beautiful job in a lot of ways. And we'd love for you to set the stage for us and our audience. You know, what is an end of life doula and what are the services that you provide? 
Well, thank you, Robert and Bobby, and I'm so grateful to be here because um, myself and the thousands of other doulas around the world were trying to educate everybody one by one. So as you've already stated, I am a, cer a certified end-of-life doula. I was certified by the International Doula Givers Association that was founded in 2008, so it's been around for a while, by a woman who was... Um, an RN both in um, end-of-life hospice and as a uh, oncology nurse and when hospice didn't have the funds to do a program for her she took it to the library and started educating people for free so um, that's how I got my certification now I do want to state that this is not government regulated it's not a government regulated profession so but the training through Suzanne was very vast and intense. It was a three-month-long program, including exams and having, you know, hours with uh, the dying. So what is an end-of-life doula, right? What we do is we assist dying patients and their families at the end of their life. And that means helping them to navigate the end because they can so often, most often, be very lost. Um, but the, the family around them, mm. the decisions, the paperwork, the details, it can be overwhelming. And if they're not, if things are not planned out in advance, then they, they just kind of lose it. So it's really a good idea to have somebody help them navigate through this. Um, for myself, how I got into this is that um, in my 20s, I did have somewhat of a fear of death. And I decided to overcome it by becoming a hospice volunteer. So I went through their training. At that point in time, I um, did a second training many years later because in between I was raising children. But I took additional training to what they call sit vigil. So basically sitting with those who are dying, which is an additional um, a training that you need. I guess good time for you to ask some questions. <laughs> well, good. Well, you, you started with uh, what brought you to end-of-life care. That's really interesting that you had a fear of death. What, what, yes. It, it, was that just something that was kind of in the back of your, your mind, or was it something specific that it you was. experienced? Or? No. It was just, I don't know where that came from, Robert. Um, there wasn't an, an event that triggered it. It was just something that came up for me. So I thought, well, the best way to get over fear to conquer it is to look at you know straight in the eye and that's when I decided to do the the training I I guess I have an innate calling um, for this anyhow I and I've been doing it a lot for friends and family before I knew that there was actually a profession so um, yeah no, no great story on why just there there was a fear there I have a question, Sherry. If yes. you know, because when I think about, I think Robert and I've talked about this. When I think about, when I personally think about death, because I was, it seems a lot would be fear-based. It's not so much the dying part. Do you have people that the fear is actually how? You know, you said you were afraid of yes. death. Um, I, I, I often think, does, I just was curious to you if that makes any sense because you're kind of a pro professional at this. <laughs> is it? Is it? kind of normal to think not afraid of the you know okay I'm gonna die you know okay I'm okay with that one of these days I'm gonna die it's the how I'm gonna die was that any part of your fear 
Mm, no, not back then, but today sometimes I do think about it. Mm-hmm. I try and pick and choose. I design. I'm going to manifest my own death in my sleep, right? But statistics show that dying is the greatest fear that people have over everything. And I think there's, this is interesting, there's usually three things that people are concerned about at the end of life and that can actually hold them on to living uh, is either they're waiting for somebody to come basically to say goodbye to or they're waiting for somebody to leave the room because they don't want to have that person in the room or they're waiting for something in their life to be completed and I think in answer to your question is that it's the incompletion of something in their life that is their biggest fear yeah not as much pain because pain can be managed very very well these days there's really no reason for people to be in pain at the end of life with all that we have medically going it's interesting the first two seem so um like natural in terms of just like natural biology you know with the first two reasons yeah just the second reason waiting for someone to come waiting for family do you mean that there's someone there that you don't want to share that experience with waiting for you said yeah. waiting for someone yeah for instance um when my father was towards the end of his life i was sitting vigil with him and the and i had already been sitting there for a couple of days when i decided to go home and take a, a real short break and that's when he decided to pass and i think what that person is thinking is I don't want them to go through the pain of seeing me pass, although it's not painful, but that's what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Total. Yeah. Well, you alluded to something. One of the challenges, you know, of death, of course, is for those of us who are survived by it, you know, in the, the business of continuing to live, you know, life keeps going and, and needs attending to. So how do you work with people who, who, you know, I guess one way to say is that they need to pick up the pieces. Well, we try to get a lot of things done in advance of. So when we're working with the patient, the person who is dying, we will do a revisit of their life if they're willing to go there with us. Right now, I have a 93-year-old patient, and when I visit him, we go through photo albums and uh, from years and years ago, and he tells me stories. And this way he gets to see that his life was worthwhile. He gets to see, yes, he had trials and tribulations, but he also had, you know, great accomplishments. So that gives peace to the person that's dying. And if the person who's dying has peace, then generally the family will follow and also have peace because that's what they're witnessing as an example from the person that they're losing. It's really, isn't it really hardest for those left behind? Those who've gone forward, you know, are are no longer in pain. And depending on what your beliefs are, quote, in a better place. But the pain is for all of us left behind because we're going to miss them, right? So if we have things in order, if that person passing is peaceful and, um, you know, the memories we can help through the grieving process with the memories we can help with the celebration of life and make it joyous. Let's let's face it. When a child comes into this world, we have nine months to, pre, you know, um, prepare generally and we do baby showers and we ready the room and we get the announcements made. Well, why should we not 
also have a joyous departure from this world because this is one thing we're all going to be doing. We're all mm -hmm. born, we all die. Let's make it beautiful. And we can make it beautiful by being prepared. It's the preparation. And we that's why we doulas want to um, educate the world that, you know, if you're prepared, this could be a beautiful thing and an easier thing, a much easier transition. I think that's wonderful. And it makes a lot of sense. I think that preparation, you know, it's, it's often said that grief is a, it's not a problem to be solved. It's a problem to be lived through. So, you know, being able to prepare yourself to live through that grief. I think it was um, uh, Joan Didion in her memoir, The Year of Magical Thinking, uh, which recorded uh, her husband's, the year after her husband's death, uh, she had said that grief has no distance, that everyone who's experienced grief mentions this phenomenon of, of waves, you know, going yes. through these mm -hmm. waves of, of, of grief. So we, we live near the ocean, so apologies for the metaphor. But, no, uh, I love it. And it brings up um, something that a hospice um, person shared with me after my mother passed and uh, she passed and I had two weeks of pre preparing for the celebration which you know is a busy activity so you're not totally in the grieving portion yet that happens after you know the two weeks and then the floodgates open and then at the strangest places I would just burst out you know crying and so what I was told is there are things called SUGS that's S-U-G-S sudden upsurge of grief and they can happen at any time at any place forever an example is um, that my mother if she would fly in to see me in Reno she would make a beeline to the ladies room as soon as she got off the plane so after she had passed and I was at the airport I walked by the ladies room and tears just came you know so sudden upsurge of grief grief is forever we don't ever really i mean it doesn't go away it's just it lessens and so the best way i think going back to one of your other questions is to have the memories and to focus on the good times yeah, yeah. i just read too you know speaking of grief because a friend of mine used to say grief should be a four-letter word grief to me just means that you love the person it's just love well you, said Bobby. yeah yes yeah yes well said Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, uh... mm -hmm. And that's why I say it's, it's we're the ones that we're grieving for and not the ones, the, the departed ones. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're talking about those, uh, what, what did you call them again? Sugs. 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 You know, it's it, not. It's it's not a cocktail. Oh jeez, you hate him. <laughs> it really, really. I can't reach him across the table. Well, I'm, I'm looking at your old. You're looking at your old cocktail book. Ice, <laughs> yeah, I'm going Straight through the cocktail up. book. <laughs> uh, but that's funny. Those. Um, it's a feeling all to itself. You know that um, that wave. Those waves, and it's interesting that. You know, whether it's someone dying or losing someone in a relate or whatever that you're grieving, there are an awful lot of yes. things to grieve. I don't think you get those same waves of enthusiasm. You know, that that particular feeling, it's just seems to be specific to grief, at least my sugs. Yeah, no, I, I, I could see <laughs> well, that. I, I mean, you're right. It's uh, the, the maybe the memories of the loss they come at different times for different people. And maybe, then, maybe people feel them differently. I don't know. Because so, to me, it's a physical, you know, it's that physical feeling. You know, it's... Um, um, I think that's what's so interesting about grief and, you know, the, the process of dying and then grief is that... Uh, and I keep drawing parallels to, to doulas in the beginning of life. And you had mentioned this, Mom, that in the beginning of life, it, it's kind of a set. You kind of know what's going to... I mean, I shouldn't say you know exactly what's going to happen. But you kind of know what's going to happen at six weeks, 
two months, six months, two years old, five years old. There's many books about There's it. There's many books book, about it. Book after book. I could, I could get a book on each month of our life mm-hmm. for the first five. But the last five are so different for so many different people. Uh, Sherry, I'm just curious, how do you manage those, those differences? Uh, I read this great quote from another end-of-life doula who said uh, that she came to the realization that she wasn't an expert in grief. She was an expert in her grief. So how do you think about those differences in how people process those emotions? It's universally, I would say, I guess it, it, could be, it could be said that it's universally understood that grief is something that everyone experiences differently. Yeah. So because it's so different, because the way that people leave this world is very different person by person, right? Okay. Person might have Parkinson's. Right. The next person has Alzheimer's. Some person, one of your family members may go very suddenly. So, you know, there's that sudden end. But in the beginning of life, there's this kind of like set runway. You know, we kind of know what's going to happen from the day you're born to you're two years old. But at the end, there's so many variations. So I was just curious how you manage as an end-of-life doula the variations in our end, in our ending, if you will. Well, one giant capitalized word, listening. Listening, listening, listening. Because that's really what the person needs is to be heard, right? So you just listen to what they have. I'm talking about the doula now listening to the grieving person, right? We're on the same track here. Yes. Yeah. And um, that's, it's a skill. I mean, I will sit for four hours with my patient and mostly listen. I mean, you know, I'll throw in things here and there to keep him going, but it's not easy. But there's a saying to meet the patient or the family where they're at. And that's what we have to figure out. Where are they, you know? And that's through listening. So does that kind of answer your question? It does. Absolutely, because they'll tell you. That's what you're saying. I mean, if you're listening, they will, they'll tell you where they are. Yeah. Exactly. But they might not tell you in the first hour. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And and you just, oh, so much patience is required, you know, because you want to jump in there, especially if you're an Irish lassie that's kissed the Blarney Stone and likes to gab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea how many times, I mean, I just, it's practice. Boy, is it practice. But listening, it's a skill, and, and that is key to find out where the person is, you know, where where are they? And like I said, the goal and the saying is to meet them where they're at, even though that you're never supposed to end a sentence with a preposition. <laughs> <laughs> and were you speaking to my mother before this podcast? I, I, oh, that's the idea. I'm a grammar freak. <laughs> oh, me too, Bobby, me too. <laughs> God help yes. us. God help and us I because thought, it's a lost art. <laughs> Oh my God! Can you believe the newscasters? I, I, I know. mean, I know. me, me versus I, and oh, I could have. How about me. my favorite? My all-time favorite is I could have went. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot, a lot of bad grammar out there, and I got it from my father. He was a grammarian, so that's yeah. I just I'm used to it now. It's it's over, right? Yeah. Proper grammar's gone. It's over. It's, that's <laughs> it's right. a lost art. It's a lost art. It is. It absolutely is. You know, it's interesting when we were talking about, you were speaking about birth being, you know, the beginning of life being a celebration. And, yes. And when we sort of segued into, you know, books about everything, about babies, everything, you know, from their first steps to when they, you know, do this and when they do that. And my crazy brain just went to, where's the book about being 70? 
<laughs> like, no, it, you know, it's like, not happy, go- happy because you have a birthday coming up. <laughs> no, I'm gonna be 71. So it, it's, it's, um, it, I guess it wouldn't be a bestseller. You know what I mean? Like people are racing to the bookstore going, I need to know what's going to happen in my 71st well, year. There was a, a book of, about death with Maury. Do, do are you familiar with that? It's, it's an older book, but is it Tuesday, Tuesdays with, Tuesdays Tuesday, with Maury? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Mitch, Mitch Al- you- I, I have with Mitch album, Tuesdays with Maury. So yeah. Tuesdays with Maury. Yes. That was a wonderful book. It was. That was, um, and, and he uh, he was he was visiting that Maury right every every yes. Tuesday. Yes. It was kind of recording yes. his yes. last years. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and it, it is interesting. That reminds me. I'm sorry, interrupting you, Bobby. No, I just said I don't think I've read it, but I've heard. Oh, of it. okay. Yeah, um, because the nurse practitioner uh, of the gentleman that I'm working with right now has asked his wife to allow me to record his stories because the nurse practitioner adores him and thinks he has the best sayings and the best um, she really likes this family you know so yeah we i mean recording at end of life is is wonderful it's wonderful i had the idea i think i mentioned this to robert the first time we spoke about recording seniors lives and this was some time ago when video was the format so video them talking so that when they had passed their family would be able to see them and hear them and capturing their life briefly and also capturing what what were your goals what was your philosophy how did it work out you know and what message do you have to leave for your family And so recording is another whole profession that should be out there. I'm also wondering when you, you know, working with, you know, this family versus that family, I would think like anything else, there are families that you get closer to, you know, that um, is there ever where it, you know, you, you take that home with you, the, you know, a family that you might get real, like you just said, um, she, she really like this family, like yes. she really like. Because yes. I'm sure there are some families that m- might not be quite as pleasant, <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I'm just wondering, um, you know, with a family that might just be just kind of exceptional um, and so you know different, and you get really close. Do you do yes. you find yourself taking that home? I haven't yet, but I could see that definitely happening. And of course, there will be grieving. There's always grieving for us doulas as well. Yeah, I mean, I've fallen in love with this particular family. and um, But on the other hand, I think you have to have a calling for this profession. I, I'm constantly told, you know, not many people can do this. And I believe that because, you know, it's not a topic that we're educated on or that we even want to talk about. My own daughters don't want to talk about it. Um, and so I think you kind of have to have, it's almost maybe innate that you're able to do this. And so again, it's looking at the, with gratitude, you know, gratitude to have had the time with that patient that you've fallen in love with. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. And, you know, I'm grateful that there are, I always say I'm grateful for people that do things. I'm grateful for kindergarten teachers. I can't even imagine if I had to do that. And grateful for people like you, because I, you know, it's not something that, I think I would, uh, I do, co- I coach people, um, which is funny, which is uh, also that when you were talking about listening is so important to listen to people. But um, yes. uh, yeah, you know, thank other people, you know, like yourself that have this calling. So, well, we all have our strengths, don't we? We all have our gifts that we do. And 
And well, Robert, uh, I don't know. I'm not quite so sure about Rob. I'm, I'm still working. <laughs> on uh, he's still. <laughs> uh, maybe. I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I feel like I'm getting a little closer every day. It's getting closer. The more conversations like this, the more I can learn, the better I feel. <laughs> Sherry, I was curious, have you worked with a family or have you experienced working with a family? You may typically confront death with religion or spirituality, uh, but maybe that family is agnostic to those beliefs. So how do you think about how spirituality plays into the into the role? Well, and, that's an excellent question, Robert. And we, in, through the training, you know, have been taught that we can't really introduce that ourselves and we don't want to put our beliefs on our patients or their families. So again, it's meet them where they are. And I've been talking to, again, I'm using the same family I'm currently with. Um, I would say agnostic, maybe more than atheistic, but um, we do get into life conversations, and I do like for them to think a little bit about what's ahead that can be good. You know, I've read lots and lots of books about near-death experiences and shared-death experiences. Do you know what a shared-death experience is? No. No. Could you tell us? Yes. Uh, share. Okay. So a near-death experience, somebody's heart is actually stopped, and they were pronounced dead for so many minutes, but then they came back to life. And there's a lot of stories out there, lots and lots of them. There's even an, an association that studies this. Well, a shared death is when you're in the room with the person that is passing, and um, this is getting a little far out there, maybe. I didn't intend to go here, but they say that some people um, are met and greeted, that the dying person sees someone in the room or people that are coming to take them to their new quote home. So a so like for instance, a spouse might be in the corner of the room that they can see. We can't see, but they can. But in a shared death experience, and again, these are written up scientifically and stuff like that, you might be in the room with them when they see that person and actually see it yourself as well. So mm-hmm. I'm getting kind of away from wow, our topic wow. and <laughs> no, it's not at all. No, no I actually no, think it's in the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's in, I think. You know, no. I am out here on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, I used, to, I used to say when I was living in Denver. crazy West Coast people. when I was living in Denver. I said, right, you know, the air's, right. a, air's a little thinner it's... up there. <laughs> up in the mountains. I, I, I've gotten so interested in the afterlife. And, you know, so I've just been reading tons of books and um, listening to webinars and there's just so much out there. You no, know, how, I, it, how can it, you not? I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're watching it, you know, in, in, right. in motion. Uh, it's uh, right. It makes a lot of sense. It was actually something that was, um, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm nodding to mom. That was her question. We were talking about that because go ahead. What were you no, gonna say? But I think what we were talking about, I had asked, um, you, um, it seems as though now I can ask a professional, um, <laughs> the pat, you know, is there a pattern to, you know, when somebody, do you see a lot of similarities in the actual dying process? Like, you know, that this is happening and now this is happening and this will probably have, so you're guiding someone through, um, obviously I think you said that before, it can certainly be different, but basically, you know, a two-year-old does this and this and this. Basically, does a dying person, you know, I know there's such a thing as the last breath only because someone pointed it out to me when my mother, I wouldn't have any idea that that was happening. Um, So is that something that's, there's tons of similarity in death 
No. No, okay. <laughs> Linear mm-hmm. came to mind. So what I thought of when you were asking the question is, let me see if I got this correctly from you. You're asking if there's like, a linear passage, like these steps are going to happen, one, two, three, four, five, or A, B, C, D, E. Yes. Is that what you... Yes. Okay. So physically, there can be, but not always. So different things, depending on what their illness is, can happen towards the end of life, uh, physically. Yeah. Okay. So there is when the body stops working and um, breaking down, slowing down, there can be uh, an accumulation of fluid, and sometimes that comes forward through the mouth, but not with everybody. And I'm using that example, which is not the most pleasant, but because that's the one that I experienced with my mother, and I hospice had not prepared me for that. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we need to prepare people, and I think there's more uh, written about it now too. And I think hospice does try to give out booklets about what you might see physically you know, the physical changes at the end of life so mm-hmm. that you are prepared for that. So I think in answering your question, if I'm getting it right, is that there, it's not all the same. It's yeah. not like steps. There's not going to be a step one, two, three, four. You might have one, two, skip four, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did, does that make sense? It makes sense. And it sounds as though um, since you don't know possibly what what's going to happen, so you were talking about the fluid, that it would be great to have somebody there say it's my yes. my loved one to tell yes. me because I would be like, what the yes. hell's going on? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. got it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Educate, educate, educate. Yeah. You know, I mean, in the training, they did take us through the top 10 diseases, the most common, you know, that people will go through and what to look for for those particular signs. But since every disease is different, that they're going to manifest a little bit differently. <laughs> but unlike hospice workers, doulas don't don't get involved in medical issues. Is that correct? We are aware of medical issues. We do not give um, medication, but we know what to look for. So if they, their breathing becomes more labored, that's a sign that you know they may need additional morphine or um, one of the other medications. And then at that point, we can be the ears and eyes of hospice and say, you know, give a call to hospice and say, this is what's happening. You know, you might want to take a look at this because hospice is so regulated. And now they're they're actually being purchased by a lot of large corporations that really don't have any health field background, you know. That sounds about right. Um, yeah, <laughs> they're <laughs> yeah, they want to make the money. But it's in any case, uh, exactly. And there were so many prop non not for profits in the beginning hospices, but now most of them are for for profit as opposed to hospices. Hospices being so regulated. Their volunteers even cannot be there more than like, I believe it's something like two to four hours a week per patient, but that's it. I can be there 24 hours if I want, you know, to, to hold their hand and take them through to the end. So time capitalized is the biggest difference between what we can do in hospice. And again, yeah, we are non, we are the holistic end. We're non-medical holistic. So we deal with the, you know, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, um, the intellectual, but not the treating them medically, if that makes sense. It does. That's helpful. And thanks for the clarification. I, we appreciate it. I'm just curious, are, are you involved or have you thought about getting involved with medical aid and dying? I understand it, I, the requirements, and, and we did study that through the training. Um, how would you, you can't, my understanding is you cannot have, you have to do this alone. 
when you take the medication at the end of life? I don't know. I know that there are now 10 states that you have to, I don't know why I was reading about this a while ago. Um, it used to you just to be two. Vermont that you could, um, uh, I don't know what you, assisted suicide they used to call it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, okay. Right. Um, but now there are 10 states. I think, yes. I'm not sure, I think Nevada is one of them. New Jersey definitely. No. It's not. Okay, New Jersey definitely no, not is. Yet. Not yet. Okay, New not Jersey yet. is, yeah. Washington, D.C. is, and Vermont right. is. And you and need, Oregon. 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 You need a doctor to, Dude, say, that you, yeah, to say that you are uh, critical, that you're dying. Yeah. Yes, you and need two, actually. Two, two yeah. doctors within, like, the uh, six-month period, right. you know, that you are towards the end. Right. And then they can prescribe the medication needed to uh, end your life. Right, but only you can take it. Nobody can give it to you. Yeah, that and, could be a problem, huh? Right. <laughs> no, that could be a problem. I'm thinking of the movie. I'm still Alice. You know, she was certainly hoping yes, she I was. Know. Yeah, she was certainly hoping she could uh, do that for herself. But when the time came, the dementia she was too far gone to to know to exactly. do it. Exactly. So they don't allow it for at this point in time. Uh, uh, people with Alzheimer's and dementia are not. They don't qualify for MAID. It's called MAID, Medical um, Assisted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, which is terrible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you would think if if you're going to be given the medication to, you know, they're saying, it's okay. Here's the medicine. You can do it. That if someone is willing to do that, you would think they would be allowed to, wouldn't you? you I would, but that's just my opinion. Just an opinion. Right, um, right. But I'm sure people have very strong opinions about well, the Well, I think um, the reason that they do have it so regulated that it's two doctors and such a you know certain amount of time, and they even, my understanding is double check with them right before the the you know like a week or two before the date that it that they've set, and it's the patient that sets the date. But um, you don't want it abused. So, you know, that's why it's probably yeah, heavily good point, good point because you don't want just anybody to be able to say, oh, I'm done. You know, I mean, they want them to be physically they're at the end of their life. They have to be at the end of their life physically to mm-hmm, qualify mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Medical aid in dying. I think that's what it stands for. OK. Well, yeah. And then there's another there is another really ugh, um, it's called V said. Voluntary stopping eating and drinking. Hmm. That's what the VSED is. And that you can do on your own. I mean, you don't need anybody's approval for that. But it does take, it can take two to four weeks and it can be pretty painful. Yeah, that but doesn't sound, that's, does not sound pleasant. No. Yeah. Yeah. Forget about of, that, but, Robert. Right, hold more, on. I'm just crossing V said off Rob, the list. Robert's crossing that <laughs> off how he's going to kill me. <laughs> He said, but, you know, more and more, more and more attention is You're going to be like, where, where are the Ritz crackers? <laughs> how come there's no food in my yeah. house? Where, how come the water's not running? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> there is, you know, more and more attention is coming to this topic, which is great because we need to address it. Once it's addressed, you can put it to bed and go on with your life and know that everything will be in place and fine for you at the end. That's my goal. But um, it's, again, serendipitously timing on this call because 
this week's People Magazine, the April 10th issue, has an article on an end-of-life doula in Texas. Mm. So, so um, interesting. Well, it's, I, I think it is out there. I mean, I, as you know, um, a lot of this, uh, 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 well, I shouldn't say a lot of this, but COVID, obviously, and the pandemic yes. really spurred this um, interest in, in dying and how people die because I... I I think for the first time in for a lot of people, the news was, you know, was was very explicit in terms of showing us what was happening, particularly, at, at, you know, at, at homes and old age homes where and, they died alone, where they died alone. And the images oh. of watching people on the other side of the glass waving to their loved ones who yes. weren't able oh to go God. in. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, there were a, a significant amount of deaths over that 18 to 24 month period. Um, you know, numbers that we, you know, really just don't get talked about too often anymore. So I think with that and then being complemented by this surge of, of, of home births, natural births, having doulas in the room with you, I, I think it just, it just became this, um, you know, this intuitive complementary discussion, kind of like how we thought about it. You know, you're bookending your life with people who are thinking about the holistic side of how you come in and how you go. And in both ends of the books, you know, it's, it's pretty complicated and it's pretty bureaucratic and it's, it can be pretty painful. So uh, it, it makes a lot of sense that in the last, you know, let's just say three years or so that it's, it's becoming more topical. And I know people like yourself and, and folks in, in the organizations that you work with and, and other organizations as well have been doing this for a long time. But you know, we're, we're equally happy to hear that there are people who can help with end-of-life planning. And uh, we're very happy that you're one of them, Sherry. You are really wonderful. We appreciate you taking your time today to share your path uh, you know, to this profession and, and, uh, and sharing your, your thoughts with us. It's been wonderful. Well, it's been wonderful on my end, too, uh, Robert and Bobby. I really appreciate your following up with me because, as I said, the goal is to get the word out there, to get the word out there and educate everybody so that we can all have peaceful passings. Wonderful, wonderful. I've really enjoyed it, Cherry, really enjoyed it. If I ever get out to Nevada. Reno, yes. Reno. You said Reno. it right, yes. Oh, no, welcome. I'm good now. I've got it. Yeah, got it. you're golden. I'm, I've you're, got you're it. Golden. Yeah. <laughs> And Sherry, if you ever come out to the East Coast, we, as, as our audience knows, we record in Cape May, New Jersey. It is uh, almost summertime, so you are welcome to visit us as well. Uh, it was well, really, thank you. It was really thank a pleasure. I, I know Mom agrees. We, we feel and certainly take more comfort knowing that people like you and others are available to us throughout our lives and as well as at the end. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, if you want to learn more about uh, Sherry and her services, please visit uh, their website, her website, uh, where you can find information at www.4peacefulpassings.com. That's the number four. And, of course, you can find this episode and all of our past episodes at www.12poundpodcast.com. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or your favorite podcast platform. Mom, number 25, this was uh, one of the more interesting ones and. Uh, I think one of the more informative ones for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Really enjoyed it. Very informative. 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 That's a hard T on there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, that's good. We'll end it with a laugh. (laughs) We're going to need, is there like an end of parenting doula? (laughs) 
<laughs> there you go. She's ridiculous for go. everything. All right. <laughs>